Hello, everybody. I hope everyone's enjoying their holiday season. It's that time of year again. Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you want to call it. It all started with the pagans, and we'll talk about that later. Anyway, I hope everyone's having a happy holiday, not working too hard, and this finds everyone doing well. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Joe Maduro. I want to say thanks. He's our newest Patreon subscriber. So I've been going on this uh, trip with every episode, telling you guys about Patreon. It's a way that you can support the podcast uh, financially, you know, which is uh, kind of the name of the game these years. Uh, producing this uh, costs something. Uh, there's bandwidth, you know, equipment upgrades, things like that. But also, I want to take this into the future. And uh, if you head on over to the Patreon site, we can get there at uh, everythingwentblackmedia.com or you can visit it on Facebook. Um, it's pinned at the top of the page. It kind of lays out my plans of trying to expand this uh, into you know, having video content, uh, doing a little bit more ambitious work, and we can all get there through Patreon subscriptions. So there's been a group of you guys out there who uh, believe in this, and I really, really appreciate that, and it just motivates me to work harder. And um, if you subscribe you get some bonus content. Some of the stuff that I put out there is the audio book version of Lifetime of Gray Skies, which is a, a tour journal for the one and only Anodyne European tour, which happened you know, over 10 years ago at this point. Uh, it's pretty interesting, very entertaining, for me at least. And uh, some of the feedback I got has been very positive. Uh, so if you join the Patreon, you get that for free. You get some uh, bonus unreleased Tombs tracks, uh, you know, covers. There's the David Bowie Heroes cover up there, uh, Depressed by Rorschach. A while back, we did a uh, cover of that song, which was going to appear on a Rorschach uh, tribute record, which it looks like it's never going to come out. So really happy about the way this track sounds. It features my former drummer and dear friend, Andrew Hernandez, along with Garrett Busanick, who played the band on the uh, Savage Gold era of the band. So that gives you a feel for how long ago we recorded this and how long it's been just sort of sitting on my hard drive. And uh, I'm really happy to, you know, finally have it see the light of day and have you guys be part of that. So there you go. That's uh, some of the stuff that we have up there that's available as bonus content and as time goes on uh there'll be some like bonus episodes um you know when i do a bonus episode maybe like an interview with somebody it'll be available first through patreon and then maybe a few months later i'll group up a bunch of these bonus things and put it out as an actual episode but you know it'll be much later down the line so i'm just trying to keep things uh interesting uh trying to do you know, out-of-the-box kind of ideas and not just, like, you know, offering you guys some sort of -of run-of-the-mill stuff. So, anyway, that's Patreon. Uh, Before we get going on the episode, I also want to uh, give a shout-out to Onnit. I'm a huge fan of their supplements and, um, you know, just their their equipment that they have and the approach of the company, the philosophy. Between between all of us, I have to say that Onnit has been a direct influence on what I do with Savage Gold Coffee. You know, it's uh, the idea is that all this stuff is like a curated sort of thing um, on it. It's the stuff that the guys who run this organization use themselves and they believe in it. So if you share a similar mindset, uh, you can get a lot of benefits from that. Likewise, that's how I approach Savage Gold, um, which is like another sponsor for this podcast. It's my coffee company. Um, You know, basically... I drink it. I love coffee. Any product that is going to be available on that site is something that I personally use and back 100%. There will be nothing that I consider to be low quality being offered on that site. So, you know, that's my responsibility to you as the uh, consumer, for lack of a better term. So I kind of melded these two together. Um, if you're interested in the Onnit products, you can go to everythingwentblackmedia.com, and then there's a, uh, a couple of banners on there, one for fitness equipment, one for you know foods, supplements, things like that. Follow those. 
I get a little taste to help keep the uh, lights on here. And um, also, even if you don't want to buy anything, just go to their site, and they have, like, tons of free content on there for people to check out. A lot of, like, uh, you know, exercise techniques, um, instructional videos, uh, interviews with, like, notable people, you know, if you're into MMA or just fitness, you know, jiu-jitsu, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, just lifestyle stuff in general they have on there. And then for uh, Savage Gold, just head on to savagegoldcoffee.com. And um, right now, once again, everything is out of stock. Having a hard time keeping on top of all this. Uh, you know, the holiday season, people like to give gifts, and uh, I've been enjoying that. People have been giving coffee as a gift, and I appreciate all of that support. So I think um, a couple days I'll have everything back in stock. I've got some more coffee coming down the line. In the meantime, you can also buy Savage Gold Coffee on Amazon. Uh, right now, Prime, which is the Ethiopian Yirgashev beans, and Blue Monday, which is my personal favorite Peruvian bean. They're both available on Amazon. And if you have a Prime membership, you get to make some savings on shipping. So there you go. So it's the end of the year. 2017 has been a challenging, sometimes good sometimes very difficult year. I'm not going to say bad. I'm going to say challenging and difficult. There's definitely uh, were a lot of obstacles to overcome this year. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, sort of hard times in the beginning of the year, but I think that I recovered pretty, pretty well. I was able to get out on the road, do, I think, three full U.S. tours with the band this year release a full-length LP on our brand-new label, Metal Blade, and uh, play OzFest. That's actually a pretty cool year. So I'm not going to complain. The hard times are more on a personal level and have nothing to do with, like, you know, creativity or, uh, you know, opportunities or anything like that. I've been given a lot of opportunities this year, and that's, like, a very, very cool thing. You know, one of the things that helps me, quote unquote, keep it real is the idea that no one owes me any of this. You know, I play in a band. I'm able to do this podcast. I'm able to provide media, you know, work in the, you know, quote unquote, journalism fields in whatever capacity I do these days. But just let's um, let's address the band at first. You know, no one owes me that. I feel fortunate that I'm able to operate the way that I do and that the minute I stop, no one's going to care. Give it like a month and I'll just be another footnote. And that's a very freeing thing because at times doing this whole band trip, you get into this whole mindset where, you know, maybe envy sort of enters the picture, um, anxiety because, you know, you're not maybe reaching your goals fast enough. And uh, what kind of keeps me grounded through these periods is the idea that over a longer enough timeline, nothing really matters. If you take a higher point of view, all this shit's fucking meaningless. You know, in a hundred years, no one's going to remember. In a thousand years, it's going to be like it never happened. So that any kind of, you know, hardship or difficulty that I face, I kind of think of it in those terms. And no matter what, things are actually going to be okay. Even if I die, it doesn't matter. I'll have lived, existed, and died in a sort of unfeeling universe will be out there to observe or not observe my life. And that's the kind of kind of stuff I keep in mind every day. You want know, to get bummed out, you know, when there's no money, when uh, I'm faced with these uh, difficult situations. I think about that, and I'm like, eh, everything's going to be okay. You know, I'm still going to do all I can do to get myself through all these situations. But in the long run, it does, none of this stuff matters. So I just want to kind of keep that mindset going into the new year you know 2018 
hopefully we can all have a lot of cool opportunities and do a lot of cool stuff. So earlier, uh, I wished everyone a happy, happy holiday and, um, you know, it's Christmas, but you know, Christmas, the commercial Christian holiday, uh, Santa Claus, everyone goes out and maxes out their, uh, their credit cards, buying gifts for people, you know, and I'm into being generous. I enjoy giving gifts. It makes me feel good, you know, but you know, the Christmas idea has, has been sort of hijacked from the pagans. Way back in Roman times, there's a thing called uh, the Festival of Saturnalia, which uh, roughly, well, actually it started earlier than December. It was uh, originally a farmer's holiday, which celebrated the ending of the planting season. And actually, uh, you know, satis, I think that's what the Latin word is, stood for sowing or, you know, to sow or the end of sowing. And hence, that's where the god Saturn, you know, the name came from Satis. Um, you know, so as time went on, the, you know, the duration of the festival grew to five or seven days or something like that. And they moved it later to the end of the year. And then uh, when the Romans adopted Christianity, uh, they changed the calendar to accommodate this festival, which would happen around the solstice and uh, the winter solstice, that is, you know, and that, I mean, I know this sounds very convenient, but from my readings, that particular period in time roughly coincided with what we know as December 25th. And actually, if you look at the summer and winter solstices as anchor dates, you know, it kind of cuts down on the arbitrariness of these numbers and, you know, names of months and all that sort of stuff, because the longest day and the shortest day of the year are absolutes, and you should sort of mold the rest of your calendar around those two dates, at least in my opinion. If I was like an emperor or a ruler of some nation and I had to devise a new calendar, those are the two set points I would use. I think it was Constantine. I think he was the emperor of the Roman Empire at the time when uh, they adopted Christianity. Um, you know, that name sticks out. A lot of other ancient religions, uh, they sort of use this time of the year, uh, you know, as a holiday. You know, our, our favorites, the Vikings, the Nordic peoples, you know, and if you're a fan of metal, there's all, there's always all sorts of references to Vikings and, you know, in black metal, there's like a big Nordic thing sort of going on. You know, and the Yule time is like a Scandinavian sort of idea. And um, so, yeah, I mean, this is like a very old holiday that we're getting ready to celebrate. You know, just in general, pagan people uh, worship the sun. I mean, what, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, pagans were connected more to the earth and there was less of, of a abstraction with the deities that they had. Uh, they were just sort of manifestations of uh, natural uh, phenomenon. So sun, which is, uh, you know the life-giving essence, the life-giving energy of everything, it would make sense that they would have a sun god. You know, the Egyptians had a sun god, everyone. You know, all those different ancient religions kind of revolve their pantheon around worshiping the sun. So on the shortest day of the year, you know, roughly for us, it'll be December 25th. That's a significant part of the year. You know, the, the night is the longest and there's less, the daylight is the shortest at this point. So at the end of that day, you know, the sun starts to begin its rebirth. And uh, I don't know much about Wicca, but I know that there's, uh, there's a whole thing going on with Diana and Hearn, you know, the horned god, god of the wild hunt or something like that. And uh, Diana kills Hearn and he des descends into the underworld and that's winter. He does that all in winter and then is reborn in the fall, in the spring rather. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty sexy religion. You know, a lot of, a lot of nice looking women are into Wicca these days and that's really cool. But uh, it's not something I know that much about. I just have a passing experience with that. <laughs> At a more far out level, uh, Christmas also has a psychedelic connection. Ever look at an Amanita muscaria mushroom? You know, it's red with white. 
sort of specks on it, you know, sort of bulbous mushroom head. Um, kind of looks a lot like the outfit that Santa Claus wears. So, I mean, there's, uh, you know, a big theory among the psychedelic community that Santa Claus, at one point, so I think is, uh, you know, Siberia or Tibet or one of these places, the, uh, that he was a shaman and that they were so into these Amanita muscaria mushrooms that they fashioned their outfits to represent the Amanita because they would eat these mushrooms and have these visions and, you know, seek gods and connect with fairies and other deities. So they were like enraptured by this whole experience by eating Amanita muscaria mushrooms. So, you know, that's another angle and that's, uh, you know, I kind of like all that stuff. It kind of makes things a little bit cooler when you think about how Christianity and the actual, uh, you know, monotheistic, uh, religion, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam has probably been responsible for a lot of killing in this world, in history, you know, and I like to think that maybe the pre-Christian uh, world might have been a little bit more peaceful and understanding, you know. I mean, hell, during the temple of, during the uh, festival of Saturnalia, the Romans uh, stopped executions, they stopped declaring war, you know, the societal roles were reversed, where, you know, People were nice to each other to exchange gifts. The master-slave sort of relationship was flipped. You know, it's, uh, it was an interesting time of year where the sort of things got changed, you know, even if it was only for five or seven days or a week or something like that. So, I don't know, it makes me, makes me think about these things. You know, in general, the end of the year is a very reflective time of year for me, and uh, I like to look back and think about this stuff. So now, like, on a more fun level, you know, everyone has their year-end lists of what they think was the best records to come out and, you know, this and that. So I have a list. It's not a top ten. It's, uh, let's see, I got one, two, three, four, five. I have six. I couldn't quite think of ten records that I liked this year that came out, but I have six. Six solid records that I totally back and irrefutably think are the six best records that came out this year. Anything else, good, but not the best. Maybe next year there'll be 10. So anyway, at the top of the list, I have Godflesh, Post Self. Huge, huge fan of Godflesh's music for you know, most of my adult life. You know, Justin Broderick is uh, a visionary, in my opinion. And Post Self, I feel sort of combines the work that he did with Yesu and some of the best stuff that he's done with Godflesh. You know, the last uh, two things that came out were good, but, you know, God, you know last, last couple of Godflesh records, the, you know, World Lit Only by Fire, is uh, those are cool. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but it's like a little, I didn't feel like anything really spoke to me on those records. You know, there was no standout tracks. I just kind of listened to it. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. It sounds like Godflesh. It's heavy. It's got these sick slamming beats on it and like sick, like heavy tuned, you know, heavily down tuned guitars. And it sounds like Godflesh, you know? And uh, the few times that I caught them over the years, they sounded great. And uh, I remember when Godflesh came back after the long run of Yesu, Godflesh reformed. First time I saw them was at Maryland Death Fest a few years ago when uh, it was them and Napalm Death were back to back. And I was concerned because I've seen Yesu several times. And I, I got to be completely honest that I never really enjoyed them live. You know, the record's brilliant. Live, it just never really delivered as far as I'm concerned. So when I heard that there was going to be a live performance by Godflesh, I was a little concerned. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect, you know. So I went down to Maryland Death Fest. I figured Napalm Death was playing before them. And if they're playing, you know, you, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a ripping grind course extravaganza. So the whole day would, wouldn't be a waste if Godflesh, you know, sucked or whatever. But Godflesh didn't suck. As a matter of fact... 
they totally crushed. I thought they sounded great. There was no, you know, technical issues, which I feel like sort of plagued Yesu throughout their career was like, you know, laptop screwing up, like drum machine, you know, drum tracks, like getting fucked up, like, you know, stuff like that. So that brings us with Post Self, this this most recent release. And um, I have to say, you know, it combines like both bands seamlessly. You know, it's like this, you know, there's like a brutal pulverizing heavy, you know, very cold vibe on the record you know the the beats and the guitars are very god flesh but then there's like in certain tracks there's like this very shoegazy um you know sort of yesu vibe for lack of a better term and I, i like the combination of of both of those styles you know then on throughout the whole record there's like this streets of london at midnight vibe you know this like very like you know grimy kind of like uh you know lad sort of thing going on and i don't know if anyone else hears it but it makes me think of like uh yeah like british dudes in like running suits and gold chains one guy's got like a knife or something like that you know rolling through the streets of london in a car and i don't know looking for trouble that's kind of like what the record makes me think about number two morbid angel kingdoms disdained there is a lot of pressure on these guys especially after their last record and um they really delivered man we got you know steve tucker bass vocals trey and i don't know the names of the other guys in the band but uh eric rutan manning the helm as far as production goes and this record you know i bought this when we were out on tour and um checked it out and it was like had the opportunity of listening to this in its entirety in one swoop and i gotta be honest with you man i think i think it sounds sick and really stoked that this is what the new morbid angel sounds like it's a death metal record you know there's no pretense of uh industrial stylings or any any kind of like you know experimentation um and i'm not against experimentation i just think that you know it's um and when it's done well, it has to be done well. If you're going to stray from the plot, you better have your shit together and you know exactly what you're doing. You know, I mean, that last album, like, I definitely salute them for taking chances. That It's just that, unfortunately, the chances didn't really work out. So, anyway. Morbid Angel, Kingdoms Disdained. Number three, Oxbow, Thin Black Duke. Oxbow is one of the most unique bands that I've ever experienced. I've seen them live a handful of times. I think I have most of their albums and each record is, is uh, its own entity. You know, there's like a, yeah, continuity because you can tell it's them. You can tell Eugene's twisted vocals, you know, the, you know, the intricate guitar work, the, uh, you know, dynamics with the rhythm section, and, it, you know, there's a sound that they have, but they express this sound very differently on every record. And Thin Black Duke is, like, in my opinion, at the same time, their most catchy album, but also, in my opinion, one of their most abstract records as far as, like, song arrangements go and, um, you know, just kind of, like, the overall, like, vibe of the record, you know. And uh, probably probably my, my favorite record by them, you know. I don't know. This might just be my my sort of uh, you know brain going there, but I hope this is not their last album. I remember back in the '90s, uh, a band called Tar put out a record. It was called Over and Out, and the record came out. I saw Tar came through. I was living in Boston. They played at the Middle East downstairs, and uh, saw them live. And John Moore, the uh, singer, made some kind of statement about. You know, I'm never going to, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad this is the last time I ever come to this town or, or something, you know, cryptic like that, implying that this would be it. That was sort of unceremoniously Tar's last tour, and actually it turned out to be their last tour. So Over and Out was released after the band, I guess, had agreed to, to break up, and uh, the record Over and Out has this sort of vibe to it, like, 
you know, just one more time, the last time sort of thing going on. And in some ways, this record has that same feeling. And I might just be projecting, um, you know, having interviewed them for a feature I did earlier in the year and, uh, you know, spoke to each band member individually. And, uh, you know, one of, one of the things Eugene said was like, yeah, we're all seeing the end of the line. We're all seeing the white light, like, you know, running out of time in this, in this life, you know? And I don't know. I, I hope this isn't their last album. Um, I think they're, it's a band that with each release, I truly enjoy everything they do. But if it is, this is a really good record to go out on. You know, one of my favorites. Number four, Goat Whore, Vengeful Ascension. They're on this list just because whenever Goat Whore puts out a record, it's definitely in my top five records. In this case, my top six. Number four in my top six. What can you say about Goat Whore, man? They're just... Uh, they're like a modern slayer, I guess. You know, they keep putting out records. And they're all great. They're one of the greatest live bands ever. And uh, you know what you're going to get. You're just going to get some, like, brutal, dirty, blackened, thrash, death metal with, like, a, a sort of punk sensibility. You know, this record in particular is probably one of the more punk records they put out. It has like this real motorhead, like venom kind of thing going on, you know? And uh, just last month we wrapped up uh, a brief tour with them and I got a chance to see them play every night and they just like kicked ass every single night. I don't think I've ever seen Goat Horde not completely destroy the stage. So that has to mean something, man. And I think that that intensity translates well on this record and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's better than a lot of stuff I heard this year. That's for sure. So what are we up to? Number five. Number five, Wolves in the Throne Room, Thrice Woven. Once again, a great band. This record, after sort of being absent for a while, is their return in a lot of ways. And uh, overall, it's a great album. It's, it's uh all you would expect from Wolves in the Throne Room. The songs are long. They have this like epic feel. Uh, there's a bunch of different uh, cool guests. We got Steve Von Till appears on the record. Um, once again, a band that I know fairly well. Um, I understand their process a little bit. Uh, we years and years ago we did a tour with them, and uh, you know, I got to know uh, you know Nathan and Aaron fairly well. And um, yeah, they just they're. I don't imagine this band ever breaking up. I just imagine the two of them making music. I mean, they put out very different records a couple of years ago, and now they're back to like the, you know, kind of crusty, neurosis-inspired American black metal, you know, with uh, an emphasis on uh, the natural world. And, um, you know, I, I interviewed these guys once, and, and they sort of maintain, or Aaron who I interviewed maintains that there's no philosophy behind the music, but I believe there is. I believe that their philosophy has to do with the nature, it, with nature and embracing the, the sort of natural world and, you know, vibing on the, the energy of the planet. And, uh, yeah, that's something I can get into. And, um, I think that this record really represents, you know, that sort of feeling. And, um, yeah, it's something I've listened to, pretty regularly for the latter part of the year. Uh, I got a chance to see them, uh, what was it, last year? I didn't catch them on any of the touring they did this year. But they're, they're always great. You know, they, they always bring something new to the table whenever they go out on tour. And now number six, Immolation Atonement. Immolation is probably my favorite New York-based death metal band. I mean, they're... You know, they're, they're pretty much legendary around here, and they really heralded in that sort of New York death metal sound. And this record is, is sick. It's, like, amazing. I caught them uh, earlier this year when they were out on tour with uh, the Cavalera brothers, and they played a lot of the material off this record. And um, once again, these are guys, like, when you hear the record, it's awesome. You see it live, it's the same. You know, these guys are 
some of the best musicians playing this style of music out there. And, uh, yeah, it's just like through and through a great album. So now like, you know, you, you may or may not know that I'm a, a big movie fan, particularly horror films. And, uh, Actually, later tonight, I'm going to be sitting down with Mike Scandato doing uh, the sort of companion podcast called Necromaniacs. And anyone out there who likes horror, exploitation, gore, comics, you know, uh, you know, stuff like that, macabre things, you should check out that podcast as well because that's me and Mike Scandato, who is the singer of The Last Stand, formerly the singer of Inhuman, and a dear friend of mine former owner of the Brooklyn Monster Factory, a uh, comic book store that existed out in Park Slope on 7th Avenue for, uh, I don't know, a too short period of time. It had a very short, passionate run. And uh, sadly, the door closed. The doors on the, clo- on the, the, doors on the shop closed uh, a few years ago. And, uh, but, you know, we all have some really good memories of that place, especially Wednesdays. I don't know, Wednesday was like the day everyone came to pick up their books and it was like these long, epic hangouts. It was, I'd stop, at the time I was working in New Jersey and I just hit that place on the way back and I would get there like maybe 6.30 and I would stay until 9, just chilling, hanging out with Mike and his brother John. All the regulars would come in to pick up their books and it would just be this like cool hangout session. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, I, it's the end of the year, you know, and what a time to be sentimental. And if anyone who has been listening to this podcast long enough understands is that I'm like a pretty fucking sentimental guy when it comes to memories and watching things kind of like become memories, you know, and, and the sort of sadness that surrounds that. And, uh, yeah, it's like we had some great years, man. And I look back and I feel like somehow the times are diminished that the Brooklyn Monster Factory is no longer open. You know, it's definitely like a like a time and a place, you know, a, a section of people's lives when we were all just a little bit different than we are now. And Mike and his brother John owned the shop. So anyway, I'm getting off track here. Mike and I do this podcast, Necromaniacs. We talk about horror. So some of these things I'm going to mention are going to appear on our collective list, but I don't give a fuck. Some of you guys don't listen to it, so I'm going to roll through my favorite movies of 2017. Number one, The Void. I don't even hesitate to put that as my first you know, pick for the year. Being a fan of H.P. Lovecraft... Um, John Carpenter, Clive Barker, 80s horror, practical effects, and the sort of eclectic uh, output of Astron 6, a group of Canadian guys that make really cool movies. This movie was something I was anticipating. A while back on Necromaniacs, we did, um, a, we did a, we covered a film called The Editor. And in researching that film, I um, discovered a little bit of information about a forthcoming movie that this production company was working on called The Void. And all of Astron 6's uh, work has a uh, tongue-in-cheek, humorous vibe to it. This movie did not seem like it had any humor at all. It seemed just, like, dark, ominous. It dealt with, like, uh, you know evil from beyond the stars, from other dimensions, uh, gateways, you know, occult practices, like all this kind of stuff, very much in line with the kinds of things that I think are cool. So I sort of tracked the progress of the film, like, you know, the early trailers came out and, uh, you know, the information was released. And then finally, in 2017, the movie became available to see. There was a very short theatrical run, and uh, it was on all of the streaming channels. I think it, you know it's on Netflix. You can get it on iTunes. I believe Amazon has it streaming. But it seemed right 
somehow to experience this in the sort of analog world because the film in a lot of ways is an analog movie being that I'm not going to say all of the effects were practical because these days you you know you have to use the tools available and, and a little bit of CGI is fine as long as you're not completely fabricating everything digitally most of this was practical effects splatter models you know, dudes wearing these like crazy suits, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the movie once again draws from this sort of cosmic horror, um, you know, otherworldly, you know, connections to different dimensions using forgotten knowledge and rituals to connect with other dimensions and pulling back, you know, creatures and transforming the human form and, it, it was just great. It was everything I want in a horror movie. And I know that there's people out there that have detracted it, and I don't give a fuck, man. It's like, no matter what, man, people are going to like diminish or try to diminish some accomplishment. And I just think that horror movies are fun, man. And like, when it's fun, well done, and fits neatly into the exactly what you want and delivers on all those points why do you got to fuck with it you know so anyway this is my that was my number one pick for last year all of these are horror movies by the way i <laughs> i was trying to think if i actually watched anything in the theaters or anything that was new that wasn't a horror film in 2017 and they turn out to all be horror movies so there number two is it it's um you know, once again, a lot of people kind of like slam this movie. I think it was brilliant. I loved it. You know, it's uh, coming off the heels of successes like Stranger Things. It, it sort of takes a little bit of that momentum and applies it to Stephen King's epic It. And even that kid, uh, the kid from uh, Stranger Things is in it. I can't remember the dude's name. I think his last name is like Wolfheart or something. It's like Tor Wolfheart or whatever. But it's a kid that plays Mike from uh, Stranger Things is also in this movie. Um, the other dude, this like Swedish guy uh, who was in Hemlock Grove, he plays um, you know Pennywise and does a great job. And there are some definitely creepy moments in the movie. And uh, I saw this in the theater at the Alamo over on Fulton Street in... Uh, you know, in the, in the Brooklyn sort of downtown area. And it was a fun time. Number three, Alien Covenant. Once again, another controversial movie. Some people hated it. I thought it was cool. I'm fine with not directly being a disciple of the original. I like the, where the, these sort of prequels are going. Um, I think that the sort of isolation and loneliness on the planet or planetoid or whatever you want to call it is, uh, was like a pretty, was pretty intense, you know, and I don't know. I just enjoyed the movie, you know, I even enjoyed Kenny Powers, his appearance on there. I actually, uh, you know, Danny McBride is a pretty likable comedic actor. So to see him play a more or less dramatic role was very interesting to me. And apparently he's involved with uh, another, not a Halloween remake, but a re, like a new connection to the source material. It's not clear where he's jumping into the story, but it acknowledges Halloween 1 and possibly Halloween 2, and then jumps into the narrative after Halloween 2. Someone's going to have to verify that. But I know that it, it acknowledges the first one or two movies and then sort of takes the mythology into its own realm. So, hey, I, you know, I'm all for stuff like that. You know, I think that you know, Halloween, out of, the two big, out of the three big ones, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and um, Friday the 13th, Halloween you know, exists as my favorite. You know, I, I, I thought Michael Myers was a great villain, and uh, he just looks cool lurking during the daylight hours it's just super creepy so anyway, mcbride is in, is involved in some project with halloween but anyway back to alien covenant man i'm on this heavy tra- tangential thing tonight um yeah 
I liked it. If you don't like it, that's your freedom. But I have freedom to like the movie, and there you go. Number four, The Black Code's Daughter. I only have four named four movies on this list, so this is it. Uh, <laughs> you know, once again, man, I don't have, why, why does it have to be ten? Why can't it be four? My other list had six. The Black Code's Daughter, um, along with The Witch, I feel like those two films are an indication as to where the horror genre is going in the future. You know, they're slow moving. Uh, they're they're very character and plot driven, and it's not so much uh, you know going for these like gross outs or special effects heavy you know things. There's like just like an overall creepiness and you know feeling of unease, and it's almost like those two films are hearkening back to. Uh, you know, my favorite, H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe, where both of those writers were more about creating atmosphere as opposed to describing action. And I feel like these two movies, The Witch and The Black Hood's Daughter, are more about establishing an atmosphere than they are about action and, you know, gross outs or kills or you know, any of that kind of stuff. No, people do get killed in the, in the Black Hood's Daughter. But there's like this kind of just somber malaise that pervades the film. It takes place in winter. Uh, it looks cold. There's cold feeling from it. The acting is incredible. And um, it's just an overall, in my opinion, just a brand new take on American horror. And I'm glad movies like this exist because... Let's face it, you know, Hollywood, I I don't want to believe that there's no new ideas out there. I just think that there's some really boring motherfuckers running Hollywood and they just aren't open to like new ideas. So that's why it's cool that movies like The Black Coat's Daughter and The Witch get made and people enjoy them. And they're done on this kind of low key promotional level and you know, they're not these big blockbusters and maybe the expectation of making money isn't quite there. And they're banking on the long view where people are going to enjoy this film and maybe buy the physical content and it'll have a longer life, you know, as opposed to like these horror films that come out, like all the million reboots that are quickly forgotten. And they probably don't even make any money. You know, maybe it's like, summer high school kids out there who just want something to do during summer break and there's like a movie where they can like finger their girlfriends or you know sit in a dark room with another with a girl and and be like oh man this is really scary you know and feel her titties and stuff like that and that's kind of like what those movies i think are are geared towards and then september rolls around high school starts up again they forgot all about these movies and they're just completely unmemorable but, you know, The Witch, Black Hood's Daughter, those types of films, very highbrow. There's like a thought that needs to be committed to. Um, you're creative and they're very, they're like these art pieces that I think warrant repeated viewings, you know. So, yeah, that's my list. So anyway, I hope everyone has a great year-end holiday, whatever it be. And uh, I'm going to keep on trucking. Uh, This is the final episode I'm going to be doing from this location. Um, uh, All my bags are packed. Pretty much everything's packed up in boxes. Um, You know, I got the van is pretty much packed. I'm moving stuff out, you know, into a storage unit. And, uh, you know, come the first of the year, I'm going to, kind of figure out what the hell I'm going to do. So, you know, don't worry about me. I'm there. I'm not going anywhere, at least from, from this vantage point. Physically, I am going someplace else. But, uh, but yeah, you'll, uh, you'll hear from me after the first of the year. So everyone be safe and have a great holiday. For now, I'm signing out.